This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Back to throw is Darnold, looks left, fires one down the left sideline, towards the end zone, Robbie Anderson, he's got it, that's a jet touchdown. Dumps it to Bell, and Le'Veon Bell takes it, it's for the touchdown! Crowder the 30, 35-40, Crowder comes on the Jets, he's going to go all the way, Jamison Crowder! And now it's intercepted by Mosley, he's going to score, Jim! And he's in! Touchdown, C.J. Mosley! And welcome back to the Cool Your Jets podcast, I'm your host Ben Blessington, a lot of stuff to talk about tonight, we're going to be breaking down the Jets-Saints, third preseason game, you know, the typical dress rehearsal, We'll be breaking down the offense, the defense, some studs and duds. Uh, and then we'll also uh, look forward to preseason game number four, the fourth and final game, uh, which is generally more important for backups. I don't expect Darnold or any of the starters to play. This is going to be guys who are trying to make the roster and whatnot. So we'll be breaking down you know, who needs to step it up, some different roster battles and whatnot. Uh, and we also have another mailbag. Uh, you, you guys use the hashtag AskCYJ. Gave us some great questions this week. So we'll break down that and uh, actually a little piece of NFL news is Andrew Luck retired. But we'll talk about that towards the end of the podcast because it's, you know, it's a pretty big um, you know, story for the NFL. And it, it does have you know, implications on the New York Jets. Um, but you can follow uh, this, this uh, podcast on Twitter at, uh, at CYJPod. Uh, you can follow me at Ben W. Blessington, and you can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. You can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, uh, and whatnot. You can also find it on turnonthejets.com. That's the single best place uh, for Jets content. If you want podcasts, articles, whatever, just go to turnonthejets.com. But without further ado, this podcast would be nothing without the stat and analytic nerd, Michael Nania. Michael, how you feeling, man? I'm doing really good, and. You know, I'm just hoping for the regular season, two weeks to the regular season from the time we're speaking right now. And uh, uh, see, watching the uh, the game against the Saints was more stressful than I thought it was it was going to be with uh, the amount of pressure on Sam Darnold, seeing him take shots in the back. So uh, it, it wasn't really as fun as it has been in recent years with quarterback competitions and stuff. I just kind of wanted it to be over with, and I still want the preseason uh, to be over with. But the regular season is coming very quickly, and um, I- I'm super pumped. It just... At random points in the day, I just get like excitement attacks where I'm just realizing the season is coming so close, and uh, I'm just pumped for Buffalo to get here. Two weeks, two weeks, we're almost there. And yeah. actually, I've been looking at the time, so under 20,000 minutes until that game. <laughs> yeah, you were tweeting out a bunch of weird stats. Uh, That's I saw right. you had like Joe Namath hit 20,000 uh, passing yards in his 91st game today or something, and it's 20,000. Yeah, a bunch of a bunch of random nonsense. Yeah, where do you even go to find that? That's what I'm curious. Like, do you, are you just do you just think of that? Like, oh, it's Joe Namath to twenty thousand passing yards. 
I, I mean, take I, me I, through the I process. Just, I like, just take a look at how much time there is until kickoff against Buffalo and then think, all right, so there's 20,000 minutes. So what could be 20,000? Uh, oh, Joe Namath, passing yards, just stuff like that. Oh, but, yeah, you know, typical thing. That yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going insane here. You might realize that. But, Jesus, yeah, fucking, that, I think yeah, that's I the main takeaway here. <laughs> yeah, main uh, main takeaway is Michael is a freak. Um, Anyways, but let's talk about you, you mentioned the Jet Saints game. Yeah, I mean it was it was stressful. It was also, you know, as most preseason games are, pretty boring at times. You know, it's exciting obviously to see the starters, but as you say, like you don't really want them to try that hard because you don't want to see any injuries. So you just like like seeing them on the field and do well, but even like Jamal going in for tackles at full speed yeah, and running like into the only, the only play that made me go like that I cheered for was when, when Sam hit that bomb to Robbie, but other than that, you're right. Like and we talked about it earlier before the show that uh like Quincy Nunwa, he's had a couple of like you know preseason efforts uh, in the Falcons game that one throw in the end zone, and this game on that deep bomb. But at the same time, we're like we don't like to see it because it doesn't make the highlights look as good or Sam's numbers. We're we're actually okay with that because we don't want, especially a guy like a Nunwa getting hurt in the preseason. So uh, you know preseason efforts are you see we're seeing a lot of them. You do see a lot of them every single year, and you know there it doesn't it makes the game boring. But you you have to you know just understand why guys are doing it and in the long run it's just totally okay and acceptable well yeah especially for a guy like quincy who's just had a, a pretty you know debilitating injury uh you know history and you know this team needs him to stay healthy I, on that pass it, sam did a great job nobody really talked about it but you know from what i saw i mean he threw it i think it was double or triple coverage and he just thread the needle perfectly he dropped if quincy just made an adjustment on the ball similar to um in 2015 when the jets played the pats at home and Fitzpatrick threw that ball to, to Marshall or Marshall made a move on the defender and, and snagged it right at the goal line or whatever. It was like a 40-yard bomb. You know, all Anuma had to do was cut inside, and that ball was there. I mean, just Sam does a lot of little things like that where his – and Gase was saying he makes throws where you just are like – you have no idea how he made that throw and how perfect, you know, they are. Even the Robbie one, which was – wasn't a dime by any means. It was underthrown. But the reason it was underthrown is, one, he had pressure coming from his right, and then he couldn't step up because, you know, the interior offensive line, which consists of, you know, entirely backups right now, got pushed into him. So it wasn't like he could, you know, step up and deliver a, a bomb. He just had an arm throw it. Um, and, you know, but even that throw, he, he underthrew it, but he underthrew it in a perfect way where Robbie was pretty much the only guy who could get the ball. So, as you said, yeah, and, a lot of and, stuff. You know, the throw with Robbie, my, my thing with throws like that is, you're like, it's not a dime. Like, you know, some people called it a dime. I know Joe Blue, it was a calling out Rich Samini for calling it a dime, but it's not a perfect throw. He definitely, you know, if he put more arm on it, put more air under it, it could have been a touchdown. So it could have been better, but throws like that that are that deep down the field are, you're talking like 30%, 25% probability of being completed generally. So if you do complete those, regardless of if it was a perfect throw or not, it's still a huge win in a good throw just because more often than not, it doesn't get completed. So you still give Sam credit for, you know, under pressure too, uh, making that throw like you mentioned so it's still a very very good throw it wasn't perfect wasn't a you know sp extremely special dime but it is a very good throw that you know especially we as Jets fans know that not all quarterbacks can make consistently so uh, to see Darnold make that throw it, it was a very good throw and an exciting play I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of those in the regular season it can be better and uh, go routes are something that Darnold struggled with last season and so he can still improve uh, just consistently getting the most out of those. But that that was a very good throw and definitely, uh, to me, one of yeah, right after the touchdown pass, uh, the number two most exciting play from Darnold in that game. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is, that is. I mean, look, obviously Sam Darnold has a lot of gifts and a lot of things that the Jets fans should be excited about, but he, he has had weaknesses. He's you know only 22. He's going into the second year. And that was one of the things that you saw through his film that he he didn't necessarily use his feet 
um, to step into throws. And a lot of times he would just arm throw and it would lead to under throws or whatnot. Like even his, his first touchdown pass was a great, you know, playing the ball by Robbie Anderson. But that, I mean, that throw was underthrown. You, you talk about, he has struggled with the deep ball at times, just that, that go route. And we haven't seen it that much during preseason, but I'm excited to see it during, you know, during the regular season, especially considering his chemistry with Robbie. Um, we're kind of on the the topic of, of the offense's performance. Let's continue with that. And we just brought up a, a guy that I want to talk about, Robbie Anderson, who's just doing a lot of different routes. And look, this is a, a training camp storyline that has been, you know, perpetuated for months now that, that Adam Gase is expanding Robbie Anderson's route tree and whatnot. But you're really starting to see it now, even though it's vanilla offense, or whatever that one, I'm trying to, he ran an out route um, that was just so beautiful. And he created, I think, I think uh, the defender got called for for defensive pass interference. Even it was just so beautiful. And he he uh, did it against the Falcons too. Second straight week we've seen it. Yeah, and he ran that comeback versus the Falcons. He he just ran. He's I know I know we read a lot about Robbie Anderson diversifying his route tree, but to just see it and the you know the you know perfect footwork uh, is really encouraging because you know there is concerns about him being an all around number one wide receiver. Is this just a you know a twig that can run deep? He's proving uh, that that he's more than that. Uh, you know, we have to see it in the regular season. We did see it towards the end of last year. But yeah, and we, that was we did see it at con- the end of last season a lot. And those, over those three games against uh, against Buffalo and then Houston and Green Bay, he had that one catch uh, late in the Buffalo game, which was, you know, one of Darnold's best throws. That one was really amazing. He had that one throw down the sideline. But other than that, you know, he was one of the top 10-ish receivers in the league in terms of his production over those three weeks. And it was no deep stuff other than that one throw against Buffalo. And against Houston and Green Bay, it was just all out routes, curls, comebacks, stuff like that. So uh, we've, we've seen flashes of it. Uh, it's just about putting it together consistently. And, you know, with the guys he'll get to play around this year and the most talent that he's gotten to play with uh, in his going to his fourth year at the Jets, uh, he'll definitely have a chance to, you know, get the opportunity to have more, uh, you know, run more routes like that and not just have to run go routes because, you know, there are other guys who can do that. So uh, you have Quincy Newton can go downfield. You have Jameson Crowder, a guy who, for a slot receiver, can get more deep balls. Uh, the most other guys that position you have Montgomery, who could run wheels, and and Le'Veon Bell, who could also do that. Powell as well. So uh, there are a lot of other guys who can do a lot of different things. So uh, it's just about consistency. We've seen it from Robbie Anderson, and and even in 2017, that game against the Chiefs, where he caught for like 10 first downs, I think, uh, on intermediate stuff. So we've seen flashes from him, but it's it's about consistency, and that's really the question with you know any player in any sport, uh, no matter what you're doing in life, it's all about uh, not can you do it, but can you do it consistently? And we have seen it from him, and we've seen great flashes here in the preseason, but uh, it's about doing it consistently, and he does have the ability to do it, but we'll see if uh, he can continue what he did with Darnold at the end of last season. And to see him do it in the preseason now, back-to-back weeks, uh, just getting some, making some really good plays in the intermediate range is definitely something uh, promising for the versatility of the offense. Yeah, I mean, you you did that thing where you went through, you know, we have Robbie, we have Crowder, we have Quincy. I know you're talking about going deep and whatnot, but you just started to list off some of the offensive weapons that this team has. And especially if another tight end could step up, you know, whether it's Griffin or Wesco or whatever. Um, just thinking about the, the amount of players that the Jets have on offense that can ball. I mean, I'm trying to think of the last time the Jets offense had this many playmakers. And it, it spawned the question on me, uh, Michael, do you think... Which offense, I mean, we haven't seen him on the field yet. You know, Bell is still relatively unknown. I mean, I, I know he's, you know, one of the best running backs in the league, but we haven't seen him in 18 months or whatever it's been. Do you think this offense is more talented on paper uh, than the 2010 Jets offense? Because, and I, I know, I think that was right around when you started to become a fan or whatnot, but you just started to list it off and I was like, okay, well, they obviously haven't had that much talent. 
in the past few years. I mean, you could go to 2015 maybe with Decker and Marshall, but probably not with with Ivory as a running back. And then you go back farther, I guess it would be 2010 with with Edwards, Holmes, Cotri, you know, LT, Green, and Keller. But and a, you know, probably a better offensive line. But I'm trying to think this might be the best Jets offense on paper um, that that I've pretty much seen in my life. Uh, but, yeah, but I guess it, it definitely can be. I, I think from a versatility standpoint, the 2010 group is is really good. Like you mentioned, you had Holmes, you had Cotri, and you had two running backs with uh, diverse skill sets. You have Green, a downhill guy. Then you had LT, who was obviously late in his career at that point, but brought the receiving to the table on the speed. So uh, I think from a versatility standpoint, it's definitely right there with them. But I, I think the upside is higher. Le'Veon Bell is obviously better than any one of those players. And I think you can make the case that Rob, that any one of these three wide receivers, not all three of them, because that can't happen. One of these guys are probably going to have a slightly disappointing year from a production standpoint. But any one of these three guys, I think, can be better than uh, any of those three receivers were in 2010, whether you look at Crowder. And if he can do what he did back in you know, 2016, 2017, when he was a top 10 slot receiver, if he can get back to that, you know, he can be as dangerous as any of those 2010 guys were. If Quincy Nunwa can do what he did in 2016, and uh, he's a guy that has a you know incredible skill set with his ability to make those acrobatic catches, his his yak ability. Uh, as long as he stays healthy and can just stay away from too many of those blatant drops, he, he, Quincy's like this weird guy where he he'll make these ridiculous acrobatic catches, then he'll drop like an easy slant. He's he a lot of receivers are like that, and Quincy's definitely in that group. But you have three guys who are have a lot of upside in Robbie and Crowder and Quincy. So I think any one of those three guys could have a season more dominant than we might have seen from one of those guys uh, that were with that 2010 group. So uh, the the potential is definitely there. It's not a given because, you know, things happen. Injuries happen. Guys have disappointing years. But this can definitely be better than that 2010 group. Well, yeah, and you have an offensive head coach, which is something that, that, you know, the Jets haven't had uh, in a long time. I mean, I'm trying to think, was it, was it, Kotite was the last offensive coach. Was that the stat? I think because so, it... and and that's actually a good point because our perception on these guys is not necessarily about like what they're actually doing from snap to snap, but it's about the production that they have. And to have an offensive coach who's focused on the skill sets of these guys more than anything else that he's doing, really, you know, he's focusing on the quarterback and the skill position players and the O line. Pretty much, that's the primary things that Adam Gase is focusing on every single day. So to have a coach who is focusing on that and knows how to get the most out of these guys. It's going to help them get the opportunities to to make those big plays uh, more frequently than you might see with a defensive head coach. Obviously, there's always an offense coordinator there, a play caller, guys who are committed to the offense. But for there to be a head coach just instilling that overall philosophy that offense is going to be a key, that you have so many different guys who can do so many different things well, uh, a lot of different skill sets that complement each other, uh, it's going to give guys like Robbie and Crowder and Quincy, the opportunities to make plays in the areas where they can really flash the brightest. So I think having an offensive head coach really can help these guys flash, uh, you know, just flash more than we've seen other Jets skill position stars in the past. Yeah, well, let's talk about Adam Gase. Um, You know, uh, we've seen his offense with the starters. I mean, it's granted it's, you know, vanilla, it's preseason, whatnot, but we've seen a few drives of what he's trying to run. And obviously it's going to be expanded upon much more as we get into the regular season when they add Le'Veon Bell uh, and whatnot. But Michael, I mean, what do you think of his his play calling so far? I mean, again, I'll we'll say we'll preface it. It's vanilla. Even you know, I saw some people were complaining about. I think it was like a third and nine. We were at midfield and we ran a draw up the middle. I mean, it might have been third and twelve or whatever. And people were upset about it. Um, 
But in my mind, it's like, well, okay. I mean, he's, I mean, that might have been the what they would have called um, in the regular season. Who knows? I know that was uh, a qualm that many Miami Dolphins fans had is that he likes to to run draws on third and long. Um, but also, I think that might have been because Sam he didn't want Sam to get hurt, and because you know, on a third and long. It's a passing down. Defense might send some heat. You're not going to have as many blockers, and you could take another big shot. So uh, that one, I think, is forgivable. Um, but on the positive side, I mean, I think, you know, specifically the red zone play calling, even in the preseason, <laughs> looks way less vanilla than any of the crap that Jeremy Bates was running in the, the red zone during the regular season last year. I mean, our vanilla offense this year, you know, in the red zone was miles and miles uh, uh, you know ahead of, of what they were running the past few years so kind of what do you what are your thoughts on Adam Gase um, you know calling plays and whatnot and specifically kind of in that red zone area yeah so I don't think it's ever smart you know you know judge play calling too much in the preseason but I think the top thing with Gase is that I think his underneath game is like really creative I think that's the big thing because you look at what Jeremy Bates did I think one of the big issues with what he was doing is that what he was doing underneath, like his screenplays, stuff like that, was just, you know, really simple. Like he'd just throw the ball to Quincy and he'd go make a play. And just uh, that would basically be the entire screen game. But to see, you know, Ty Montgomery come out of the backfield and run, you know, what was, you know, kind of like a fade, a little swing route out of the backfield. And then Darnold threw the touchdown to him, like like stuff like that. I think he's going to be, and this, the running backs too is huge. Obviously, we haven't seen Bell yet. But uh, in this game against the Saints, actually, Ty Montgomery's basically the entire offense in that, you know, first quarter or so. And I think you're going to see Bell basically in that role that you saw Montgomery uh, in that Saints game, just taking touch after touch, but in so many different ways, whether it be a handoff out of the shotgun, handoff under center, throwing a swing route out of the backfield like Montgomery did, or a wheel route or a check down. Just so many different ways to get the ball to the backs. And uh, I think that would be the top thing for me. Just the way he really is creative using those running backs is uh, I think it's going to be really exciting. You have Powell, Montgomery, Bell, three guys who have good hands can pass block, can run routes. Just to have to have three running backs who can do that is yeah. uh, a really, you know, unique uh, unique asset to have that a lot of teams really don't. So that is going to be really interesting to watch. And I think so far we've definitely seen signs of uh, that the running backs are going to be a focal point. So uh, in the preseason, you never want to uh, look into it too much and kind of, uh, you know, make conclusions on what you're going to see in the regular season. But at the same time, I think it's a, uh, it's it's really fun to I think it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch these running backs, especially in the passing game this year between those top three guys. So uh, you know, and the offense has been generally pretty successful in those first two games. Uh, took a little bit of a step back against the starters against the Saints, but uh, I, I think from a creativity standpoint, we're gonna see a lot more this year. It could work, it could not work. It obviously didn't work in Miami. The personnel was different. Uh, hopefully, we the Jets have better personnel than the Dolphins do, or prove to be better. But I just think the creativity is going to take a step up. I think that is, especially in the underneath game, just with the way the running backs are used, the screen game overall, uh, I think the creativity is definitely going to take a step up. Yeah, and you, you even threw in Bilal Powell there. And that's a guy that's not getting any respect at the moment. But I think that's a guy that's going to be huge uh, as we get towards the end of the season. You know, Le'Veon Bell has struggled with injuries at times during his career. He's a guy that's taken 18 you know months away from, from the game of football. I mean, obviously, he's been in training camp and whatnot. And anytime you... You know, you're away for a while. I think Manish said it last week. You do have to kind of worry about hamstrings and whatnot. Um, I think just having that third. And Ty Montgomery is going to be playing such a versatile role. He's not going to just be Le'Veon Bell's backup. They're going to be on the field uh, at the same time, uh, you know, together a lot. So Bilal Powell becomes that backup. And I think that's a guy with a fresh Bilal Powell 
you know, around week nine, week 10, similar to what happened in 2015 when Ivory started to, to fade away and get injured. I think that's going to add a big boost to this offense. And yeah, it's exciting. I mean, look, it's vanilla stuff, but you know, I'm very encouraged with, with what Adam Gase is doing with this offense. And we haven't even seen Le'Veon Bell and Le'Veon Bell adds a lot to your offense. But the thing that people aren't really talking about that much is, you know, for a while now, anytime I've watched a Jets offense, they haven't been very good, but you know, there've been a few seasons where they've had, you know, um, good numbers or whatnot in 2015 or whatnot. They had Marshall and Decker and, you know, Fitz broke the record for touchdowns and whatnot. But Bell just gives them that guy in the fourth quarter when it's a close game. You know, maybe it's maybe it's an ugly game. Maybe it's 13 to six or whatever. You need a touchdown. He just gives you a go to player. The Jets really haven't had a big time, you know, big time players make big time plays, uh, you know, type of guy on the team. And Le'Veon Bell, just the addition of that, that's exciting. Just to have a guy that you talk about, Jeremy Bates throwing to, to Quincy Nuno and just, you know, let him go make a play. Quincy Nuno is a great yak receiver and whatnot, but having the ability of, let's say nothing's really working on offense, you know, they're playing a good defense who's shutting him down. They could just draw something up, get the ball in the hands of Le'Veon Bell, and you know good things are going to happen. That's probably the most exciting part of this all is because we haven't seen that. This offense has looked like a well-oiled machine without one of the best, if not the best running back in the league. You know, they might have struggled a little bit at the start of the game. I think, you know, their defense struggled, you know, mightily against Drew Brees, and then they fumbled. Uh, and then they just kind of went through the normal ebbs and flows. They got a few first downs and they went through, you know, they had to punt or whatnot. And then, you know, they had the, when they had the opportunity, they went down the field and they scored on a great touchdown drive. So I'm just really encouraged about this offense and just the, the excitement to add a guy like Le'Veon Bell um, is overwhelming. You talk about excitement attacks. I mean, obviously I'm excited for football to be back, but to, to you know, to see uh, Le'Veon Bell uh, jog out there with the, the New York across his chest is going to be uh, pretty exciting. Let's let's you know switch sides. Wait, about- before we get to the defense, like I just want you mentioned how the Jets haven't really had that go-to guy who can just rely on like that, like you know in a basketball game, like if you're going to you know you have your whoever your go-to guy is at the end of the yeah, game. Yeah, who's going to take the last the shot? And, yeah, and Brand, I think Brandon Marshall is the first guy that came to mind. But the thing that's different about him is that you know he's not a guy who can just give the ball to like draw up a screen and he'll go make a play you know he had some good yak plays but that's not his game his game is more the intermediate range those fades those curls just bodying people up down the field and also he also had to uh, you know work with Eric Decker that was just a really good combo that those two guys had going they complemented each other really well but Le'Veon Bell is and at running back too you can when you have a star running back like that and I know that running backs aren't really as valued anymore because the running game uh, has definitely been decreasing and, and rely teams have been relying on it a lot less. So running back value has you know decreased because of that. But to have a, a running back who can do both, who you can hand the ball off to, who you can pitch the ball to, throw a screen pass to, uh, have him run a wheel route and toss it to him down the field, a guy who can do so many different things, who you can go to snap after snap, but do it in different ways. I think that's what makes him really special. And even if you need him to pass block, if you hand him the ball a couple of times in a row, say he picks up six, then he picks up seven, then he gets five, then you fake it to him, let him pass block and give Darnold time to take a shot, just stuff like that. He can do so many different things well and help help the offense basically any way they need him to. So uh, that is definitely something the Jets have not had, uh, even though they have had Brandon Marshall score 15 touchdowns and have a phenomenal, phenomenal season, just a guy who can really take control of the offense. And I, like I said, I think the way Ty Montgomery's kind of being used in that first quarter is kind of a glimpse of what we could see from Bell. In terms of usage, obviously, Ty Montgomery isn't at Bell's talent level, even though he you know, seems like can have, he can have a really good impact this season. Uh, I think that is really a glimpse of what you could see from Bell this season, just the guy who, you, who, when things aren't working, you could rely on him to get it going again. 
Yeah, it's certainly the most exciting uh, time for for a Jets offense, um, you know, in, in my lifespan. It, it's it's I'm just excited. I think you put it well. You have those excitement attacks. I'm just excited to, to see it all come together. And, you know, I know a lot of Jets fans weren't a big fan of Gase when he got hired or wasn't a big fan of Gase when, when he was hired as that coach. But he, he's know, won I, us over as good. He, as a lot of people. Good. I think I don't know if it was the beard or, you know, smelling getting the Cagden salt. out of here. I mean, that was late, the smelling salt. But that's yeah. just icing. Uh, he's, he's clearly won a lot of people over with his work ethic. And it's clear that he has the knowledge of, of the you know of offense and he can be successful. Will he? Um, you know, still to be determined, but an exciting time for the Jets offense. And, and they certainly, you know, showed, um, you know, you know, what all the hype w- was about, you know, through training camp and through the spring and whatnot with, you know, three great touchdown drives uh, led by Darnold. But let's talk about the starting defense, because that's a pretty different story. I mean, the, the defense has some pieces that have been playing well. Obviously, Jamal Adams is was in uh, midseason form uh, with with that crushing hit he put on. Uh, I think it was in like the second quarter or whatnot. They have CJ Mosley, Quinn and Williams, Leonard Williams are looking good or whatnot. But Obviously, a lot of concerns, specifically in that secondary. But even you could look at the linebacker position. I mean, a guy like Avery Williamson going down, we downplayed it with Manish a lot. You know, we're like, you know, I think this is a good opportunity. But Neville Hewitt got burned on a wheel route for a big first down. I mean, he just wasn't there in coverage. We'll see if a guy like Blake Cashman can cover better with with his speed. But the defense has definitely, you know, showed some holes. And look, it's been vanilla play calling. Greg Williams hasn't necessarily gotten it all down yet. We're still in. Uh, August, but Michael, are you concerned at all about the starting defense? I mean, you saw him go against Drew Brees and just get gashed right through the middle. Is that one of the things where it's like, well, okay, they had Alex Brown starting at corner. You know, Tremaine Johnson isn't back yet from injury. They're still working some stuff out. And it, hey, it's preseason. You know, it's a vanilla play calling, and you're going up against the best offense in the NFL. Yeah, I think you never really want to judge off of one preseason drive, even though the Saints did make it. Look really easy. As easy as we thought the Jets went down on the Giants in that first game, the Saints probably made it look even easier in this last game. So that one drive is pretty bad, but it was one drive. We see it all the time. Teams will kick off the game, making things look easy, and then they just forget how to move the football. That happens all the time. But uh, it was one, just one drive. But pretty, my general take with the defense throughout this preseason has been that the starters, the regular starters, the guys who we expected to play major roles two, three, four months ago, those guys haven't been too bad. You look at Quinn and Williams has been getting better every single game. He had probably his best game against the Saints. Didn't show, show up in the stat sheet, but he was showing that continues to show more and more just that dominant off the line power and technique that he showed at Alabama. He's been getting better. Uh, Leonard Williams has been playing good. CJ Mosley made a couple plays in coverage. Uh, Daryl Roberts really hasn't been getting beat in that often. Brian Poole had a good play in coverage in that game. I, I think he got beat once as well, but he did have one good play. And he has not been beaten too often uh, in the preseason. Uh, Jamal made that one play. Marcus May was quiet last night, uh, which is a good thing. I mean, quiet in a good way. Uh, And Henry Anderson has been pretty dominant. I think he's maybe been the best starter uh, throughout the preseason. But my general take is that the starters, the guys who we expected to be playing big roles, haven't been too bad. But it's just those backup DBs and the the linebackers last night, too. Like you mentioned, uh, Neville Hewitt got burned that one time. But uh, the backup guys, the depth on this team, could really, really hurt them. I think that has been the main takeaway, and it, it's really persisted throughout all three games. Nothing has changed. Uh, the backup corners really struggled in that game, uh, other than Alex Brown, who I know we're going to talk about more later on. But other than him, uh, the backup corners continue to really, really struggle, and it's just a byproduct of the drafting that this team has had over the past few years being you know, one of the bottom three least productive drafting teams in the league over, the past, over Mike McCagnan's tenure. That hurts your depth because – 
No, you can go out in free agency and get C.J. Mosley, get Le'Veon Bell. You could trade for uh, Kelechi Osemele, get Ryan Khalil. And because of that top-end talent, the Jets do have a chance to make some noise this year. They could, you know, make a wild card, uh, then maybe win a couple of playoff games. But where you're really hurting because of the draft struggles is the depth because you don't have those, you know, just those fourth, fifth-round hits who are contributing on special teams can give you good depth behind those guys who you add in with the big splash addition. So uh, the depth is really hurting on this team. And that is an issue that Joe Douglas has inherited and is going to have to fix going forward. But it's, it's going to affect the team this year. Uh, the healthier they're going to be, uh, I mean, obviously health is important for any team, but especially when your depth is below, well below average, like the Jets depth is, especially on defense, uh, it's going to be extremely, extremely important, especially for, Jermaine Johnson and those starting corners to stay healthy. But uh, in general, I feel like the the core guys, especially the new additions, have been very impressive uh, on the defensive side. But it's just that that depth is really, really worrying. Yeah, so let's go and talk about, you know, uh, some studs and duds. You, you mentioned Alex Brown is somebody we're going to bring up in, in this category. So let's start with him. Let's well, uh, I guess we'll start with the studs, starting with Alex Brown. What did you see from last night's performance that, that makes you think that this guy's a stud? This guy is definitely uh, on the rise in terms of his his roster position and his, his security in making this team. Yeah, well, I first noticed him. I, I'm not sure if he played in the Giants game, but in the Falcons game, I uh, you know I was at the game, so I decided because you don't get all 22 view uh, in the replays in the preseason, so I really wanted to focus on the DBs and. I, he caught my eye with the big hit early on, so I focused on him. And he was just winning most of his coverage reps, wasn't getting targeted that often. I thought he was the best corner of that game, and he was again in this game. I think he was—he has clearly been the best of the backup quarter of the backup corners so far. Not necessarily because he's been spectacular, but just because he hasn't been awful like the rest of the guys. I think he's the only uh, corner in the competition who can say he hasn't been complete burnt toast throughout the preseason, but he, he was pretty good in this Giants game. I, I looked at his coverage numbers earlier from Pro Football Focus. I think they had him for 10 targets, uh, I think five catches on 10 targets for 45 yards. So that's four and a half yards per target, which is a spectacular number. So for the second game in a row, I feel like he was easily the best corner. He is a, a really powerful hitter underneath uh, when he does get to the ball. He, he really lets uh, the receiver feel it. it's the second game in a row. He's made some big hits. Uh, on the ball, I feel like he does a good job locating it, uh, getting his hand in there, making a play. Uh, he did get beat for a couple of underneath slants, just that quick stuff when he's playing off. So he can do a better job with that. But he hasn't been got he hasn't gotten beaten over the top. He makes good plays on the ball. He's a pretty strong hitter, and uh, the production has been good. So a Joe Douglas pickup, a guy who was with the Eagles, undrafted rookie. So uh, just a good early sign that Joe Douglas kind of knows what he's doing with these unheralded pickups. Hopefully he can keep that going. Uh, with the waiver pickups that he'll probably be making soon. But uh, I think Alex Brown has earned a spot on the team. There's still a game left that uh, guys like him, all those backups, are going to get a lot of time to, you know, make their last case for the team against the Eagles. But uh, I think that he definitely has made the case to be a good, you know, back of the back of the depth chart guy, maybe that fifth corner, fifth or sixth corner after the Jets add, hopefully do add a couple of more capable guys. Uh, to back up Brian Poole, Daryl Roberts, Jermaine Johnson. But I think Brown has definitely, uh, again, we'll see what he does against the Eagles, if he can make it three good games in a row. But uh, I think he's definitely showed enough to uh, have a spot at the back of the depth chart, hopefully behind a couple of new additions. Yeah, another guy who uh, certainly upped his his security uh, in terms of making the roster, but certainly didn't solidify, and it shouldn't, Taylor Bertolet. I mean, he hit he hit that nice 56-yarder. It looked like, you know, right down the middle, looked like it could have gone from, 
uh, 60 or 61. He also had another field goal. You know, obviously, as we said, you know, the Jets are going to be monitoring that waiver wire. I don't necessarily think Bertolette has deserved to win the starting job. He's been fairly inconsistent, and a bad kicker can really tank your season. So, you know, definitely, I think the Jets will, will bring in some guys for workouts and whatnot. But, you know, it was encouraging to at least see, okay, if, if worst you know case scenario that they have to stay with Bertolette because Dan Bailey's not impressing and, you know, Matt Bryant doesn't want to come here or whatever, um, that he he can kick, that maybe it was a lot of it was nerves getting in his own head about it. And now that he's he's the guy for another week, that he's just way more confident. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Bertolette in, in terms of making the team? Yeah, I'm, I mean, it seems pretty obvious that he uh, is in a good spot to be that week one kicker. They haven't gone out and added any other competition. I, I saw uh, Joe Douglas was asked a question about having two kickers, uh, why he had two punter, why he has two punters in camp and not two kickers. And he basically ignored it, said a lot of words, but basically didn't answer it. So, uh, I mean, it seems like Bertolette is the guy. Obviously, there are cuts to come, but. Uh, and we saw it last year, Jason Myers, a guy who has had who went into last season not owning good numbers in the league, and he had a game where he, I, I think, nailed a kick from the same exact distance, 56, and then he ended up making the team. So this was a huge ha- must-have performance from Bertolette, uh, making the two long field goals, and he made all of his extra points. So uh, he needed a perfect game, and he also got the opportunity to make a couple long ones. So he, he definitely took full advantage of it. Uh, made the most of uh, a couple of really good holds from Lachlan Edwards, just really good form. But uh, he made the most of his opportunity. It, he seems like he's in line to be the week, be the week one kicker. But for me, like I don't want to. It's never good to put too much stock in one game of field goal kicking because it, it's such a small sample size thing. If if he missed one of those kicks, one extra point, one field goal, then he had a well below average game. That's just how field goal kicking works. If you don't have perfect game, you had a bad game. So. It's not necessarily good to look into one game like that, but uh, they did give him another chance, and he took full advantage of it. So uh, we'll see. I, I don't think there's nothing he can do to change the fact we'll be nervous going into the season because he hasn't kicked in the league before. Uh, his numbers in college weren't good. He didn't make the team last year against Jason Myers, a guy who really struggled before he came to the Jets. So he, we're not going to be able to feel confident about him, but uh, if he does continue to play well and just sees the opportunity to make the team. It, it can make us feel a little bit better, and he definitely did that uh, in the Saints game. All right, let's stick with special teams, but this time we'll do some. We'll do a dud. Um, obviously, you know the competition that the you know nation has been watching: Matt Dar and Supreme Emperor Lord God Jesus Lack Edwards. Matt Dar did not look too great uh, yesterday. He gave up. Uh, a touchdown. I mean, I guess it's not all him, but he did miss that tackle. And as you said, I think Lack Edwards would have made that tackle. Kind of your thoughts on the punting situation. There was a, a scare there for a little bit as, as Matt Darb kicked before Lack Edwards did last week. Um, just I think maybe it was because you were in town. They wanted to, you know, spite you yeah, or something. Yeah, that was but, just trolling, I think. Okay, but your your thoughts on, on Matt Dar? Yeah, I, I think Lachlan kind of took control of the competition this game. He did uh, get onto the field first, and and I don't know if there's too much stock to put into who you know who's out there first or second in a punting battle because I think more or less they're just trying to split the reps. But I I do think that you know you look at the numbers now throughout the preseason to date, Matt Dar out, out of the 30 punters who have punted at least uh, eight times out of the 30 punters with at least eight punts so far, Matt Dar is 29th in net punting average. Lachlan Edwards is third, so that's obviously. A huge difference, and a huge part of that was the Saints game, where, like you said, Dar gave up that touchdown, missed the tackle. But uh, I think Edwards definitely kind of took control. He was the first punter out there. 
How much does that matter? I don't really know, but he wasn't in the last game. But Edwards came out, kicked pretty good. I think he averaged about 48 yards, uh, net yards upon that game. So uh, I, I, I obviously think that Edwards deserves this job completely. Even in the holding game, I, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but Matt Darr's holding I think you mentioned it season. every game. But Matt Darr's holding wasn't even good every podcast last season. I uh, well, uh, Stephen Hauschka. So the first 11 games of the season, the Bills had, I forgot who their punter was, but he was holding for Stephen Hauschka. He missed no extra points and one field goal. And then uh, that punter got hurt. Matt Darr came in and he held for Hauschka in the last five games. And Hauschka missed, uh, he made 56% of his field goals, I believe, missed five field goals and an extra point over those final five games. So he's, Matt Darr's not even a good holder. I don't know if uh, the Jets pay attention to important things like this or not, but uh, the evidence is right there. He, yeah, I, I love how you not have that ability. Yeah, I love how you were like, you know, I, I don't know if I've brought this up before. Like you haven't brought up punters holding uh, on extra points and field goals. Literally every podcast. This is the, the I, I was just talking about the Matt Dar effect, his terrible holding numbers yeah. last year versus versus the lack Edwards effect. All right. It makes sense. All right. One more dud. Uh, this one, I mean, isn't necessarily about a guy making a mistake, really. It's just he hasn't stood out in a time where he needs to. And that's Nathan Shepard, who was a pretty much a dud all of his rookie year. I mean, what have you seen throughout this preseason that is disappointing, I guess, uh, you know, to you about Nathan Shepard? You know, for me, it was he was a guy that I had really expected, not expected, I really hoped would, you know, would take that next leap that maybe last year, you know, he was coming from a D2 school, but he has the physical traits. He obviously played really well, um, you know, at the senior bowl and through all those practices and whatnot. Maybe it was just going to take him a year to get his feet wet and get, you know, add just and would be able to add to this Jets defensive line rotation. But now I honestly think he's on the outside looking in as far as making this roster. I think a guy like Bronson Kaufusi has, um, you know, served him on the roster. So your thoughts on, on Nathan Shepard and, and his disappointing play uh, continuing into the preseason. Yeah. And I think the thing with Shepard and obviously I think he was about 42 when he came into the league last season. So we expected him to kind of make an impact right <laughs> nice. away. Just, ba- <laughs> But based on his age, I think we expected him to, you know, make an impact right away. I think that's usually what you hope for when you draft older players. But I, there was an added, you know, curve, because like you said, coming out of D2, that adds to the adjustment, even though he was older. So I, I think you could give him an extra year in spite of the age uh, because of that adjustment. But there there really hasn't been progression. I think he's clearly been outplayed by, you know, Fatakasi. I think Kafusi has been ahead of him as well. Uh, a lot of guys whose names and whose last name ends with an I have been outplaying him. So, uh, I, I just think he's been really quiet. That's really the thing. And obviously he has a lot of physical tools. Uh, we saw at the Senior Bowl last year, his combine numbers, just his overall physical profile is really good. But he doesn't really make use of them as well. Like you see Fadakasi, like his snap timing is really, really good. You've seen it throughout this preseason. But Shepard doesn't really do that. It just kind of seems like he's uh, trying to win with tools alone without really having uh, the technique to make the most of it. So uh, I don't think he's he's been too terrible. He has had his moments, but... Uh, it is against backups most of the time he's been getting. And I believe in the, against the Saints, he came in really, really late. I think towards the end of the third quarter, uh, he got his first action. So uh, it definitely seems like he, he could be a surprise cut, uh, surprise cut candidate. At this point, I don't know if it's as much of a surprise, but he was a third-round pick last year. Uh, but I definitely think that there's a solid chance he could be cut. Yeah, in your 53, which I, I guess we'll do our official 53s for, for next week's episode as— uh, as the all preseason games will be done. But in your 53 right now, do you have Nathan Shepard making the team? Uh, initially, I did a couple weeks ago. And obviously, they're, they've been making quite a few moves. But uh, he's kind of like right on that edge. But, you know, when I've been 
breaking it down. When you just look at guys like Terrell Basham, uh, I, like I mentioned, Fadakasi and Kafusi, guys who have been you know getting a lot of first team reps and just been getting a ton of praise from the coaches, made a lot of noise in the preseason. Like it, it's hard for me to you know take leave any of those guys off for Shepard because just when you put the whole list together and you kind of see uh, like who you have to leave off if you want to keep Basham or Kafusi or Fadakasi, then uh, Shepard kind of has to be that guy. And uh, there aren't really too many other players on the team who you can kind of knock off for them, but. Uh, I wonder if you can put him on. You could, yeah, he's he's eligible for the practice squad because I mean I don't I don't imagine him getting signed to another yeah. fifty three unless there was a GM who fell in love with him at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, that could definitely be a possibility. And you know, draft you know draft reputation does kind of uh, hold a lot of power. He was third rounder last year, like you said. Uh, but uh, I, I mean, he they could put him on there. They could. I, I, there's a decent chance. Uh, just just being a third rounder, regardless of anything, when you have that. Uh, just that reputation attached to you uh, being a high draft pick, it, it's going to earn you a lot of points as long as you're in the league. But uh, I guess they could do that. I think he'd be a good stash on there. But I do think he's like he's probably my closest guy to being on the team. But uh, just just to keep guys who've been playing really well in the preseason, getting a lot of early reps, uh, I think he kind of has to be cut. All right, let's go to the mini mailbag we have for this week. We have four questions. We'll start from with, at Wadingo. Top three players to get new unis for and suggested color for each player. Yeah, I mean, Michael and I said that this was pretty much the perfect uh, question for this podcast. It's pretty much what this podcast is all about. You know, all aesthetic, no substance. Yeah, it's uh, all I'm about go- <laughs> uniforms, holders, and punters. That's our, that's our big three. Pretty much. And then occasionally some, some talk about actual football. Um, for me, I, I, you have to have Darnold and Adams as far as players go. And then Le'Veon Bell, he's, he's the big addition. So I was trying, I I've, I've been through this too. Like what Jersey do I get? Which color? I think for me, I think the black Jamal Adams, uh, combo is the best out of the three. I think, you know, the black Adams, it's a superhero. I think maybe a villain. I don't really know. Uh, but I think it's just cool. I think he's just probably the coolest player on the team. The black jerseys are cool. Um, so I like that. Then I'd probably go white. Jersey for Sam Darnold, um, and then Green Bell. And the reason I go white jersey for Sam Darnold is because I think white goes better with with stuff than uh, than green does. So for me personally, like I want to wear a Sam Darnold jersey, so I'll, <laughs> I'll wear the white Sam Darnold jersey, and I can wear it with other colors because it doesn't really. I don't know that, that it just in my mind, I'd go black Adams, white Darnold, and Green Bell. Uh, but I, I don't know about you. Yeah, uh, yeah. You for, I I actually have that trio, and I'm a little bit different. I have black Bell, white Darnold, and green Adams. And in hindsight, I kind of wish I went with the black Adams because, because like you said, there's just something about that. It just works really, really well. You see it uh, in Madden. I've seen it a lot, but even like the promotional pictures uh, that they did for the stealth black uniforms, Adams just looks really good in that black uniform. Oh, yeah. I don't know so, what it is. He's just looks so sick in there. So maybe I should have done that, but uh, I think you put it really well. Get a black Adams. I'd suggest that for anybody, even though I didn't get it. Black Bell is still really cool. Like, my thought process was, with that was that, you know, Bell's kind of like the sexiest addition, and then you have the black uniforms, which are kind of like, you know, the big new addition with the, with the whole overhaul to uniforms. So that was kind of like an all-in move. But uh, I kind of like white for quarterbacks. I think white is a good quarterback <laughs> color. Maybe that's so, just so, so Somebody's going to take that completely yeah, out of context, yeah, Michael. But it's go ahead, right. take that out of context. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, I, you can never go wrong with with the green though for for you know quarterback, just the classic home jersey for for your starting quarterback. I was it was a toss up for me, um, but you can't really go wrong. Uh, the uniforms looked you know great last night. You know the green ones we hadn't really seen them. I'm excited to see them at, at one o'clock games. 
to see that that light or whatnot. And yeah, Black Adam is the villain to Shazam. But, but that's a big topic. What you just mentioned, the color of the green. I was kind of uh, I was kind of questionable on how it looked in that Saints game. I, I don't know if I was too high on it. I think I definitely like the all whites better. Yeah, as far as the colors go, and I don't know why the end zones were, were naked for this game. Michael and I were trying to discuss, like, maybe they're redoing the color. Maybe they're redoing the design. Maybe there's a you know human issue that, you know, the didn't get the right paint or the thing. Whatever. Uh, or it was just intentional, you know, save paint for the preseason. Whatever it is. Uh, I thought that was interesting. I, I liked it because you have to remember that these uniforms, and I don't know if it's the helmet or it's just the color itself, really changes on its setting. And that was true for, you know, every uniform. But... This one especially, because I feel like yeah, the I, we saw yeah. last night will look a thousand times different at one piece. Like, because you've seen yeah, the jerseys. These practice. were made for day games. The green, and uh, I was talking to, like some people on Twitter, like, and they said like, and it's a good point that you shouldn't, it shouldn't really be like it looks good in a certain time of day or whatever. So it's not ideal, but I, I do think well, these green uniforms are made for the day games. I, well, I still thought they looked good, honestly. I like I, they were but just good. They were I, I just think the white pops. Here's the thing is. Well, when the Jets would play a game at this time in their last jerseys, the jerseys might appear brown at times or even like a really, really almost black at times. This is it's a lighter green. So when you're playing in these weird, you know, seven o'clock game, you know, you know, maybe it's Lake or whatever, instead of appearing brown or whatnot, it just kind of reverts back to the green that they had last year. Um, but I think when you see it, you know, at, at, on a 1 p.m. game, it's going to be like, I mean, I, I don't I, every jersey changes with its lighting. I mean, like the colors are probably the most important part to any uniform so the sun shining down on the green is going to obviously change how the green looks i thought they looked good last night you know i thought they looked good all all preseason i think they're going to look even better as you said uh in the daylight specifically that green but yeah the helmet just really reflects its its surroundings um and i i didn't hate it you know i think you're right though that the green was definitely made for daytime and the black jerseys were made for for the primetime games i don't i don't know how many times we're going to see you know, the typical green and white on a, on a primetime game. I think it's mostly going to be all black. Um, okay, but let's let's move on uh, from at gray market band. Hashtag ask CYJ. I firmly believe Joe Douglas should take his medicine this year and not blow any precious draft capital to band-aid the team. We need so much help, starters and depth, uh, that we desperately need those picks. I don't see anyone on the market worth changing that stance. Your thoughts? Um, well, I hope Joe Douglas is taking his medicine. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, this team needs depth. As far as starters go, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I think every team kind of could use some starters and, and upgrades at different positions. But I think the top level of this team, honestly, to me, is is a playoff team. Uh, I know the corners is a, is a little weak, but if 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 Tremaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, and Brian Poole are playing, let's just assume everybody's healthy. This starting unit is pretty solid. They don't—they're not many holes. I mean, they're all holes, like you know, right tackle, whatnot. But he's not atrocious. Brandon Shell's no Wayne Hunter. Um, and you just look around between Bell and, you know, guys like Chris Herndon and, and Marcus May. You know, just uh, the starters are solid for me. You, uh, your your point, and we've talked about it, you know, in every podcast we've done, is the depth on this team is terrible. And that is attributed to bad drafting by Michael Kagan. That's why it was so essential that the Jets moved on from him and brought in a guy like Joe Douglas, who's going to fix the nucleus of this team, you know, the core of the team with those third and fourth and fifth round draft picks. Um, I don't think that Joe Douglas will trade for any big name player. Um, and I get what you're saying with the Band-Aid. Like, look, are the Jets going to win a Super Bowl this year? Probably not. So they, they shouldn't, you know, fork over a second-round pick for a guy that's not probably going to lead to a championship season this year. I think that 
two years and three years from you know down the line, the Jets are going to be knocking on the door of that, and then I could see you know a, a late trade, you know, in August and shipping a second round draft pick or whatever. But no, I, I could see maybe Joe Douglas making like a later round trade, you know, trading a six for somebody, you know, depth reasons for you know a corner or something. But I don't suspect you'll see any any big time trades. I think he's going to be very active on the waiver wire and then maybe a, a low end trade or whatnot. But Michael, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with the take presented in this question. I think generally uh, Joe Douglas should be pretty careful with the draft capital because, you know, like we've talked about a bunch, you just mentioned it, the depth on this team isn't good, and the draft is going to be uh, the key to fixing that going forward. You don't fix depth with free agency. Depth is built through the draft because I think uh, the big difference between elite teams and, you know, teams that are just okay is that is the depth, really. And, you know, depth is always going to be a drop-off from the starters. That's It's not really unusual that... Uh, the Jets' backups aren't as good as their starters. That's the case with every team and every single sport. But uh, the good teams have a smaller drop-off in, uh, from their starters to the backups than bad teams do. Bad teams have, you know, what we're seeing with the cornerbacks right now, that's an example of bad depth. If the starters for the Jets go out, even though their starters at corner aren't that good, uh, if those guys go out, then you have basically as bad as it can possibly get behind them. Almost that bad. And with a good team, you, even though there's still a drop-off because there's always going to be, it's just not as big. And the, obviously the Patriots are just the prime example of it. We see it every single year with them. They're the most obvious example. But even with teams like the Eagles, you know, Joe Douglas's former team, uh, the Eagles a couple years ago, that team had injuries and they were able to back it up because of a quarterback they drafted right behind another quarterback they drafted. And not just a quarterback, but other positions as well. They had a, a lot of key players out in that Super Bowl, and they were able to win it. So uh, depth is extremely important. The draft is how you build that. And uh, I think it's definitely important for the Jets to uh, hold on to those draft picks going forward. So Joe Douglas can, especially in his first draft with the team, uh, still have those picks to use. So uh, every every player has a price. So, you know, uh, if there's a steal available for a really good starter, then Obviously, you consider it, but uh, in general, I think, you know, especially the two big names on the market right now are Clowney and Trent Williams, or supposedly on the market are Clowney and Trent Williams, but both of those guys have really interesting contract situations uh, attached to them as well, so it's not really just the draft capital. So, uh, in general, I really agree that the Jets should uh, just stay quiet, go with, uh, uh, obviously, they have to upgrade the corner position on the waiver wire or maybe use some lower round picks. But in general, I think they should avoid, definitely avoid the splash. I do agree with the question. They should avoid the the splash trades for now and hold on to those picks for next year. Uh, agreed. And yeah, the thing with Trent Williams, did you see that report that was like the Patriots offered a 2021st for Trent Williams and the Redskins declined or... Yeah, I, I did see that, something like that. But, Which is interesting because yeah. we had been talking about, well, they could give a third maybe. It seems like the Redskins really don't want to give up his rights. Um, so that's definitely something to monitor. But yeah, unless... Unless the offensive line is absolutely atrocious in the middle of the season and you can get Trent Williams for, you know, a third or a fourth. I think that's the only situation maybe I would or something with the corner. If Jalen Ramsey was to shake free, maybe I would trade for him. Um, but I agree. I wouldn't trade for Clowney. I wouldn't trade for a lot of those guys. But I would keep your eye on. I would not be surprised to see a trade before the season starts. I just don't think it's going to be the trade that people are expecting. I think it's going to be a six for, you know, a backup corner on, you know, the Eagles. Yeah, I, I could see that kind of trade. It's just the the splash trade definitely doesn't. Uh, that's yes. a team. Those are trades that Super Bowl this year team should be making. Clowney, Trent Williams, and the Jets aren't that team. They're a very good team that can make the playoffs, or a potentially very good team that can make the playoffs, but uh, not a Super Bowl or bust team right now. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to the next one. Two more here. At Ray Patel 25, do the Jets have a chance of winning the AFC East as long as Tom Brady is still in the league? Hashtag ask CYJ. In my mind, it kind of just depends how long Brady plays. If Brady plays two more years, 
Panthers, absolutely. I think the 2020 Jets are winning the AFC East. 2019 Jets, the secondary definitely concerns me. I don't think the Patriots are as talented as they've been in years past. I think Tom Brady is starting to slip, but I'm not going to call that um, before we've really, you know, seen it happen in the regular season week after week. You know, you can never really count those guys out. If the Patriots really falter, you know, I could see them, or I shouldn't say really falter. If, if the Patriots, you know, go down a bit, I could see them falling to around 10 and 6 type of team. Are the Jets going to hit 10 wins in my mind? Probably not this year. I, I think I, I have them at 9. They could hit 10. There there are 10 wins in the schedule, but there's also, you know, quite a few losses, and the Jets always seem to blow a, a game that they should, they should uh, win. If Brady plays two more years, I would say yes, the Jets could win the the uh, the division while Brady's still here. Uh, but if one year, if I had to put money on it, I'd probably just say the Patriots are going to win it in 2019. Michael, your thoughts? Yeah, I think you put it put it pretty good. I think uh, this year, even the Patriots do drop off a little bit. I mean, I, they won 11 games last year, so it's not like the bar is incredibly high if they do drop a little bit. But but like you said. 10 kind of seems like the ceiling for the Jets this year, and that's kind of like the floor for the Patriots. But they haven't won 10 games, and I don't even I don't even remember the last. It has to have been at least 10 years since they won less than 11 games. But uh, I think this year, like, like if this is Brady's last year, then probably not. The Jets really don't have a very good chance of winning the AFC East this year. But like you said, next year is when the Jets, uh, if they can hit on the draft big time next year, uh, hold on some key pieces, stuff like that. But they're definitely set up to have uh, next year really take that leap into contender status. So next year I could definitely see them, uh, no matter what happens with the Patriots, if Brady is still around next year, uh, I could see the Jets seriously pushing for the division next year, but this year not so much. So uh, well, yeah, I'll, I think I'll, you put it really good. And I'll, and I'll give Jets fans some sauce for those who are disappointed by the answer. I don't, I don't think many are, or at least many uh, shouldn't be that surprised by that. I think the Jets will beat the Patriots once this year, so I think they'll split, and I don't think they'll get blown out as they have the past few years in the other game. I think they'll probably win the one the Monday night football game and lose the 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 week three game, but I think the week three game is going to be a tight yeah. game. I, I don't think the Patriots are running away with week, it. Yeah, I ho- I'm, ho- I'm hoping the week three game in Foxborough isn't what it's been the past past three years, I think. they've so gone It's a little earlier this year, so destroyed. maybe it's, it's yeah. hopefully not as cold and whatnot, and it won't be as cold. But So hopefully the Jets just play better. Typically, the, you know, earlier season, you know, the Jets are, are in closer games. I think part of the reason is the Jets have, you know, played the Patriots in January, week 17. They've already been eliminated. So it's just kind of not, there's not much on the line. I think that's kind of been part of it. And and the Patriots have just been a better team. But you, and you look at week 17, the, the guys that we had out there on the field who are selling insurance right now, I mean, you know, when you play them early in the season, you have a lot more guys that are, you know, actually top players that haven't gotten injured yet. Yeah. All right, games last one. Foxborough should just, they should be really exciting games. The last three seasons, you basically fall asleep watching those games. Actually, I think if you didn't fall asleep is more the problem than if you did watching those games. Well, I watched all of it. I watched, well, I mean, last year was a little more interesting because you got to, you were right, just. I'm exaggerating. Watching. I watched, I watched all of Bryce Petty being terrible and I enjoy <laughs> very much. Yes, and, and tweeting about how the Jets should play Christian Hackenberg. Um, at Daily Jets Talk, keep one player from each group. Uh, Brandon Bryant, uh, Alex Brown, Arthur Malay, apparently, according to Ian Eagle. Tavon Campbell, uh, so I assume that's the, the corners. Then for receivers, you have uh, yeah, Deontay Thompson, Tim White, Greg Dortch. And then for the running backs, you have Elijah McGuire, Trenton Cannon, and Valentine Holmes. Hashtag ask CYJ. So keep one player. Uh, for the secondary, I think Alex Brown, It's the out of those guys, has been the most impressive to me. Uh, I, you know, I haven't really seen much from, from Mollett or Mollet or whatever. Tavon Campbell's actually made a few plays, but he also, you know, took out Avery Williamson's ACL. So I'm not choosing him and Brandon Bryant. I mean, 
I don't think he's anything special, but who knows? I mean, I, I don't think the Jets have much safety depth outside of Rontez Miles, but I, I could see him making this team, but he's more of an in-the-box guy, whereas at least Doug Middleton can, in theory, cover a little bit. But I also think the Jets might sign a guy. Um, so out of that group, I'll go Alex Brown. As far as the receivers go, Greg Dortch, for sure, brings special teams value, looked pretty, has looked uh, good again, uh, another great uh, punt return in this game. So I'm excited to see him in the return game. I hope they give him more snaps, you know, kicking, uh, returning kicks and not just punts because um, Trenton Cannon hasn't looked too great in that role. Um, and also I'm excited to see how they use him in the offense. I think he can be a Jakeem Grant type of player. I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, a top four receiver, but that fifth receiver, I could totally see him being as a guy you bring in who can, you know, stretch the field or go underneath and, and just use his speed, get the ball on his hands type of thing. Uh, and out of the running backs, I think it's Trenton Cannon. Um, you know, we, we, he hasn't really shown out as a kick returner, but he's a terrific gunner. And the last night, although it was against some scrubs, he just looked good. I mean, he, he looked, he was hitting the holes. Well, he was, he was showing off that speed. Uh, and Adam Gase has even raved about him. Elijah McGuire has been pretty meh to me since his rookie year and Valentin Holmes. I like, but I think they're going to use that 11th, uh, practice squad spot, uh, for, for him. Uh, but I'll, I'll say Trent Ken. I think he's definitely making this team and he, he, uh, he looked good and I think solidified it last night. Yeah, I, I think I definitely agree uh, with what you said. I think the answers uh, to this one are pretty easy. For the corners, I, def- I definitely go with Alex Brown. I I could see it being Arthur Millay. And again, I think it's Ma- not Mollet. I think it's Millay because Ian Eagle is the god and whatever he says goes. So that's the pronunciation. But we're probably not going to be saying it in two weeks anyway. But I think Alex Brown is the easy pick for the corners. Uh, I could see it being... Malay, because I think he's gotten, I think he's also gotten some early reps just uh, with the injuries. So maybe the team goes with him. But to me, it's Alex Brown easily out of those four guys up. Campbell's gotten beaten a lot. He's he's made some plays on the ball, but he's gotten beaten a ton. That's the reason he's made some plays on the ball is because he's getting targeted so much. Uh, Brandon Bryan, he was pretty bad in the Saints game. I think he had uh, he he had two personal fouls and got thrown out of the game, and he got beat a few times as well. So easily Brown out of that group. Uh, the wide receivers definitely Greg Dorch. Uh, he's he's been really impressive as a punt returner, uh, just legitimately impressive. It's not even like he just made one play. I think he's had uh, four 10-plus yard returns now, which is really solid. Uh, he just looked really comfortable in that role. Also hasn't dropped any yet, hasn't let a single one hit the ground, so that's good. He's looked really comfortable there. Uh, the other two guys haven't done much. I think Tim White's been really good in camp, apparently, but he hasn't done anything in preseason yet. So, you know, maybe he sneaks on the team. I've heard that, you know, that is potentially in play, but... Uh, easily great door for me. Deontay Thompson hasn't really done anything either. But uh, running backs, I agree with you. I think Trenton Cannon secured a spot against the Saints. It was probably the best he's looked as a runner with the Jets. And it was against backups, but it was also behind a backup offensive lineup. You just really saw him hitting the hole outside a lot better than he usually does, just getting out there quickly, uh, hitting top gear faster than he usually does. But uh, I think he's, he's definitely making the team, and he secured it against the Saints. As a kick returner, he's been disappointing, still work to do there, but he hasn't let the ball hit the ground yet. That's good, but he hasn't made a lot of noise as a returner. But, but like you said, he does contribute as a gunner. I don't think he's great there, but uh, his speed does add a lot of value in that gunner role. So I think he secured a spot on the team. Uh, Valentine Holmes, he never had a shot. You know, Maybe he catches on somewhere else, but uh, this wasn't the best running back room for him to compete in of the guys the Jets have in. McGuire, it, it's it's unfortunate because I think uh, he does have legitimate receiving talent. I think he's made some plays uh, specifically just, you know, in the yak game, just taking the, the ball underneath, uh, making some plays after the catch. I think he does have legitimate value there, but uh, the Jets are just too deep at running back. I think Ken in special teams value outplays McGuire and, and also in the in the running game 
Maguire's really struggled in. Cannon has been as well, but he did finally break out in the Saints game where Maguire didn't really do uh, as well in the run game. So uh, unfortunately, I think Maguire is going to be out and Cannon's going to be in as that fourth guy. Uh, definitely agree there. So let's let's move ahead to, to the Philadelphia Eagles game. Week four, as we talked about, is not really for the starters. It's for the guys who are trying to make the roster. So instead of a preview, Michael, I, I want you to just give our listeners some of the position battles you're watching. You're going to keep an eye out. Uh, when the Jets face the Eagles, let's see if the, the end zones are, are naked or if they're colored in. Um, but besides that, which is obviously the number one storyline, yeah, these different position battles. We talked about running back receiver and, and the secondary and whatnot. But specifically, who are some of the players that are either going to make or break their spot in this roster um, uh, in this this fourth preseason game? Well, we were just talking about running backs. I think that uh, I guess this is the last chance for Elijah McGuire to maybe push Cannon if he could have a big game. And, and you know, Manish Mayna, he talked to, to us about uh, just the way that uh, the running back position has been playing out. And and he wasn't too high in Bilal Powell's chances of making the team. He, you know, talked about how great of a locker room guy he is and how great of a player he has been. But uh, he he wasn't too high on ch- uh, Powell's chances of making the team. He talked about him potentially being a surprise cut in favor of McGuire. So, uh, you know, maybe that's more in play than Ooh. we're believing it to be. So uh, this would be McGuire's best chance to kind of seize that opportunity and uh, knock Powell off the team. Cause they do have really similar skill sets. Obviously uh, even at this point with Powell's age, I think uh, we trust Powell to thrive in his role more than McGuire would uh, just cause McGuire hasn't shown it that much yet. While Powell really hasn't dropped off despite, you know, his injuries and age. But uh, I think this would be McGuire's last chance to push Powell for that spot. And, and Valentine Holmes, even though he's not going to make the team, this could be his best shot uh, to, you know, show off for another team. Um, potentially catch on somewhere else. So there's still a lot interesting going on at running back and Cannon too. I think we'd like to see something at the kicker turner spot because you know the mo- and we've talked about this on this podcast for that just not letting the ball hit the ground is basically the most important thing and he's done a good job with that so far and that was an issue for him in the past. So seem clean that up is good, but he hasn't really made any plays as a kick returner yet. So just to see some flashes there would be good. But running back is really interesting. Still some stuff going on there, but. Uh, there's definitely a few other ones, receiver, tight end, linebacker, corner, obviously the punter battle, which I think is done, should have been done a long time ago. But uh, Matt Dar is definitely going to get that one last chance against the Eagles. So uh, definitely a lot of interesting battles uh, in this Eagles game. But uh, running back is pretty interesting, even though uh, it kind of seems like it's set in stone. I think there's still uh, a lot to be told for uh, a lot to be gained for all the guys left in that room. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's battles at running back. I I definitely think that the cornerback position is the one that every Jets fan, if they're going to watch this game, is going to be looking at. Is there anybody that we haven't seen through these three weeks? Maybe a guy that was signed kind of late, like Marcus Cooper, um, that or, or Kindred, uh, can just kind of make a play. I know Kindred Kindred's a safety, but just can kind of make a play and and try to stick on this roster. Even a guy like Perry Nickerson hasn't showed much, um, but. If he can even get an interception or just play well, just get some sort of momentum going into the season, because right now my faith in, in the, the secondary is, is is really low. Yeah, the running back is definitely the most interesting. I think receiver, um, you know, I'm watching a guy like Deontay Burnett. I, I'm cheering for him to make the roster. I think he's talented. I worry about him not having um, bringing anything on special teams, but I'll be watching him. I, I don't think any of those later guys 
um, are, are sticking. Maybe that guy that is Quincy uh, at a bio or whatever, see how he looks or whatnot. But I think that, yeah, the biggest, the biggest battle to me is definitely a corner. Uh, I, I would also look at linebacker. I think suddenly with the Avery Williamson uh, injury, there is a hole there and that a lot of guys between James Burgess and, and McClellan and went uh, and even Stefan Anthony are fighting for that, that fourth inside linebacking spot uh, behind Hewitt Cashman and Mosley. Uh, maybe they'll keep five, uh, but that between the linebackers and the corners, I think that's what, what I'm uh, watching the most, especially since uh, I think Lack has pretty much won the punting job. Uh, we don't have a kicker uh, to compete with. Uh, and maybe, I mean, I guess if I had to give another one, tight end uh, between Daniel Brown and, and, and Eric Tomlinson, uh, just kind of looking at those are the two blocking tight ends. I mean, Tomlinson to me is just somehow stuck on this roster for years now. Um, but I think Daniel Brown uh, might edge him out uh, once more. Uh, all right, before we close with with our final fun question and get out of here, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the Andrew Luck. And then I turned off um, Twitter and ESPN and Bleacher Report notifications because the game was delayed because I was streaming it completely legally. Wink, wink. Uh, and, you know, I so I had all those notifications turned off and then you know, I went out and whatever. And then when I came, I woke up and I was like, whoa, Andrew Luck retired? You know, was, was Schefter hacked or whatnot? But... Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, Michael, I'll, I'll turn it over to you first. Just kind of your thoughts um, on the, the retirement itself uh, and then maybe potential implications it could have on, on the Jets' 2019 season. Yeah, it, it was really shocking. Just came out of nowhere. My friends actually sent me the message. That's how I figured out about it. So I thought it was just crazy. It completely came out of nowhere, just super wild, something you don't ex- just wouldn't expect at all. But uh, for me, Andrew Luck is definitely one of my favorite non-Jets players in the league, my top two basically has been him and Russell Wilson over the past few years, just because of on the field, how unique they are as quarterbacks, but off the field too, just like how both those guys are just, you know, amazing dudes. So, and you saw that in the press conference afterward, he's just, and you knew you were going to get it, but he was just so genuine and just thankful and everything. It was super cool to see that uh, from him. But uh, I, the big thing that people have been talking about a lot is the Colts fans who booed him and he, came off the field and like like I'm kind of torn on this I don't know if it's because for the fans who are there I, I just think and first of all I think it's just you know not that many people anyway probably a couple dozen people at most just a vocal minority but uh, this is their franchise quarterback and this is the season the Colts are expecting to you know compete for a Super Bowl uh, their first Super Bowl in a while uh, with Andrew Luck and just in the middle of a preseason game they're just sitting there and these are you know if you're a fan <laughs> at a third preseason game in the fourth quarter or second half, and then you see that news just come out that your franchise quarterback, the centerpiece of your franchise, just is retiring. It, it's just shocking, and I think people react in weird ways to that. I don't. Uh, so I think it's definitely not. I wouldn't boo. I think it's still pretty terrible. But uh, to do that just because of how great of a guy he is uh, has been for that team, and probably will continue to be going forward. But uh, it's definitely not something I would do. It's still pretty terrible. But at the same time, it's just you. As a fan at the to, to be a fan at the game and to see that news is just there. There's nothing like that. It's just completely uh, unfathomable. Something we've never seen before. So people just reacted to it in a, a very weird way. So uh, it, it's just a completely just came out of nowhere. Uh, but for him, I think it it definitely goes to show just the human side of the game and that uh, just the injuries that you take it can really take a toll, especially in this sport. In a sport yeah. like football, and it's talked about a lot year after year, just all the safety changes and everything. But uh, it, it just for him, I definitely respect his decision uh, to do that, and especially for him in particular, just the variety of injuries that he's taken. So many just 
terrible, just really terrible discussing details about some of the stuff that's yeah. going on with him. But I respect his decision, and uh, it's it, def- it it impacts the AFC a lot. I thought I thought the Colts were a Super Bowl team. I they were my Super Bowl pick until this happened. They just have a great hey. roster. He was great last year, but uh, it could open up a spot for the Jets maybe in the AFC playoff chase. I don't think there's there's going to be two playoff teams in that division. I feel like Houston's going to take a step back. I'm not high on. Tennessee or Jacksonville, but uh, I I guess it could maybe open up a playoff spot for the Jets, but uh, ultimately it's not really about that too much. But uh, for for Luck, I think it's really I res- it's a very respectable decision for him to do what he did. And the thing that really stuck out was that he said uh-huh. back in 2016 is when he played through injuries, and he just it was just a terrible experience. He told himself he wasn't going to do it again, and then when it came time for him to make that decision if he's going to play through those injuries again or not and he stayed true to what he told himself and decided not to so uh came out of nowhere but i totally respect his decision he is uh, one of my favorite players uh since i started watching in the league so uh i definitely wish him the best and it's just a a decision i really respect yeah i mean people are kind of calling some people are calling him crazy or whatnot from walking away when Reality it is one of the more sane things uh, that an athlete or at least a football player has done in a while. You have to be pretty much certified insane to play uh, in the NFL, and especially reading that injury list that you mean from lacerated, in, you know, kidneys. And you know, let me know for the people that, that are that. And I, you know, I've seen this on Twitter, or whatnot. But this guy has been through how many countless, you know, shoulder, ankle, I mean, organ injuries at this point. He's made millions. He's in, you know, he's enjoyed the sport, but obviously this you know, constant pain that he's in and rehabbing and playing through pain and whatnot has taken away his joy. I would not rule out a luck return. I could totally see two years from now that him, him returning after his body feels good, but you know, he has a new baby on the way. He's getting married, whatever. And, or I think he's got married. Um, I, you know, I respect it. Uh, I understand why Colts fans are upset though. I mean, that's kind of like the knee jerk reaction is this guy, you know, just ended your Super Bowl bid. I would not count out Jacoby Brissett. I'm not the biggest Jacoby Brissett fan, but I don't think I think the Colts are still making the playoffs this year. I don't think they're going to be as dominant. But as you said, I, I think it'll be close between them and the Texans. I know you said you're not that high on the Texans or whatnot, but uh, I, I think that AFC South is going to be close. But what it does at the, at the very least is um, we don't have to worry as much about, um, you know, if Indy's great, um, we're going to be having to battle with the Texans uh, for, for a wild card spot. Potentially, Indy could be bad now that that Brissett is the is the quarterback. They don't have luck. Indy could you know be seven and nine or whatnot, and then Houston takes that um, division spot, and that opens up another wild card spot. It's just another good team in the AFC is faltering, and that might um, help out the Jets when it comes down to wild card uh, uh, time or whatnot. But yeah, I mean it, it sucks for the sport, but it's good for Andrew Luck right now to get healthy, and and we'll see in a few years if he comes back. Just just uh, don't end up with the Patriots. Um, for our last, uh, fun question, uh, I, we tried to think of, uh, of a cool one that we haven't done so far. Uh, and I don't know why I think it was, I saw the, you know, I'm a big blazer fan. Their alternate uniforms came out today and I was kind of looking at that and I was like, you know what we should do? Let's design a basketball player using, uh, traits and qualities of, of current jets players and coaches. Uh, so our categories are, this is kind of long, but we'll, we'll move through this, but our categories are IQ, ball handling, shooting, mentality, uh, defense, dunk package, slashing, body type, athleticism, and swag. Uh, so what is that? It's a 10, 10 categories. Um, so we'll start. Well, I guess we'll, we'll go back and forth. We'll start for IQ, which is pretty self-explanatory. You know, game IQ, player IQ. This is a guy that's not going to uh, make too many boneheaded decisions. I think Michael and I might have the same one because we could use coaches. 
eats, breathes, and sleeps. Uh, the game that he loves is Adam Gase. So if I had a player that had the IQ, the brain of Adam Gase, uh, you know, I think I think that's a pretty good start. But but Michael, uh, I assume you had the same answer, or did you uh, mix it up? Yep, yep, we definitely went the same one here. I said Adam Gase, and the last couple seconds before I started, you know, telling this answer, I was kind of thinking of another one. But I mean, Adam Gase is just, you know, if he's gonna be successful, the Jets, his calling card is just his potentially mastermind scheming ability. So I'm going to go with the smelling salt king, the, uh, the blazing eyeballs of Adam Gase for my IQ. I want him being my Chris Paul, bringing the ball up the court. All right, ball handling. This is a guy that not only doesn't turn the ball over um, that much, so low fumbles and whatnot, but has to, you know, has to be good at jukes and whatnot and make men miss. This one's pretty obvious. Le'Veon Bell hasn't fumbled that much. I know Michael's going to pull up this, the stats on, on his this fumbles, um, you know, th- through his career or whatnot, but he's also just one of the best um, open field runners uh, in this league. And so I think if you, you bring the ball handling of a guy like Bell, who's brings you security yet explosiveness and, and the ability to make guys miss, I, I think you, you can't go wrong with Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, I also went with Bell and the numbers that you referenced. Uh, I, I believe the, I don't have, uh, I think it's uh, among the, since he entered the league among the 18 running backs with at least a thousand touches uh, over that span, he is the second lowest Fumble rate, I believe, behind Jeremy Hill, one of those Bengal run, Bengals running backs. I forget which one, but that's ju- that's a general gist of it. One of the lowest fumble rates in the league. So I agree on Le'Veon Bell, and it's in, it's interesting because Bell does actually post a lot of videos of him playing basketball. A couple a couple weeks ago, I think he posted something where he he just like on his Instagram story just posted the address of some gym where he's playing basketball. I, I don't yeah. know how that went, but. He, he uh, has an odd release if you've ever seen it, but it, it works for him. And he has yeah, eight he, He's one of those guys who like are one. He's like the classic football playing basketball playing football player where he just does not look like a basketball player, but he's super athletic. So he makes stuff happen anyway. Yeah. So I, I'm going with Bell. We're two for two matching up with the same guy. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Michael's list, so uh, but I, I'm imagining a lot of these might be similar. And I think this next one might be as well for shooting. Uh, I've seen the video of Sam Darnold. Uh, shooting a jump shot and shooting a three-pointer. This guy was a, a pretty great basketball player in high school and whatnot. This is originally Darn wanted to play basketball. Uh, I think he's definitely, you know, anytime you can add a, a guy who can shoot like Sam Darnold, especially I, I try to consider like, you know, accuracy, dropping the ball into a bucket or whatnot. I think Darnold brings that. So so Dan, Sam Darnold is, is my shooting aspect uh, of, of my Jets basketball player. What about you, Michael? We're three for three now. I oh, think Darnold there as well. I actually didn't think about the basketball there. I was just thinking... Just from a throwing standpoint, he's good at dropping the ball on the bucket, which is kind of what you want from a good shooter. So uh, we're three for three here. I, I peaked. I peaked. All right. We, we, I peaked at your list. So we do. We mix it up a little bit on these next ones. Uh, mentality, Jamal Adams uh, for me. Um, I think we might. Is it a different order or is this? Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Mentality. I'm going Jamal Adams. Uh, this is a guy. Yeah. You want him to be gritty. You want him to have that Michael Jordan, that, that Mamba mentality, that guy who's just always going to be in the gym uh, when people aren't. He's going to be. You know, if, if, you know, there's three seconds, this is the second time we're making a last shot reference, but uh, we're talking about football. Guy that wants it. Uh, this is the guy that wants uh, the ball. Isn't afraid of that big moment. Who's going to outwork everybody. I'm going Jamal Adams. W- what about you, Michael? Yeah, for me, I was more kind of thinking of the grittiness aspect. The guy's going to go out there and be my, my scrapper. The guy's going to dive on the floor. The guy's going to go dive in the stands. Uh, knock people's soda onto the court. I went with Jordan Jenkins. I think he kind of fulfills that mentality, that 90s Knicks kind of just approach to the game. I could definitely see him being the guy who 
has no idea how to put the ball in the basket, but he knows how to take the ball away from you. So well, he Jordan he Jenkins, claims my guy Jordan here. Jenkins does claim to be a pretty good basketball player because it well, one I, time I, I believe it. I believe it, but uh, he definitely brings that greediness to the table. I think. All right, we're going. Next one is defense. This is a guy. He's got to force steals. He's got to get blocks. He's just got to be an overall great defender. He's got to stick with his man. I'm going C.J. Mosley. I think overall, if I had to choose one guy um, who can kind of bring it all together as far as you know, tipping the ball at the line of scrimmage and punching balls out and playing coverage and stopping the run, kind of does it all. I go C.J. Mosley. Overall, great defender. What about you, Michael? I went with Henry Anderson because I was thinking shot blocking, and this guy gets his hands on footballs all the time. I think he had. He had two block kicks last year, I believe. Uh, and he had one in the preseason this year. So this guy knows how to block shots. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, we had talked about Henry Anderson blocking a kick, uh, I think, like, the day before that he blocked the kick against the Falcons or whatever. And he clearly has a knack for it. And he, I think he batted a ball down at the line of scrimmage uh, yesterday. Yeah, he did so. against the Saints. He did. Uh, all right, let's go with Dunk Package. This is a guy that – this is hard to rate for football. I mean, I, I tried to think of – uh, I actually might switch mine up a little bit. Oh, no, I'll, I'll keep it. I'll this keep one it. was actually easy for me. This is this is the first one I came up with. Yeah, I, I see yours, and this is the guy that I'm, I thought at the last second that maybe I should change it to, but I'll, I'll stick with mine. I gave a kind of a, a sleeper pick on this one for Dunk Package. I'm going Brian Poole, which is odd for sure. I think I, I think you're probably like, you know, what the hell are you talking about? I wanted to think of a guy who, who forces, you know, kind of flashy plays and whatnot, um, clearly has athleticism. He kind of needs to bring it all good vertical, good reach, uh, and whatnot. I think Brian Poole, you saw that hit he had in practice and, and, you know, just some of the, the, the ball skills that he has for me, that was just kind of the, the guy that popped into my mind. I know the guy you're going to say, he's probably the obvious pick, but for my sleeper pick, I'll go with Brian Poole in the dunk package. I think he just has that, that extra grittiness uh, to him that you need to be a good dunker. Yeah, I went with Quincy Nunwa, and I, I, you just think of the acrobatic catches this guy's made, especially in 2016. He uh, didn't really do it too much last year, but in 2016, he had a ton of just ridiculous acrobatic catches. Uh, and his, he's got one of the best just builds for, and I know it's another category we'll get to, but just his build, he looks really, just his arms are like so defined. He looks like a basketball player. His hops are incredible. I think he's, uh, he just has that basketball catching ability, just going up there like he's getting a rebound. And I, I think he would be a pretty good dunker. And I, there are a couple of different ways you want to have your dunkers. You want, you know, there are game dunkers, guys who bring that power, who can just shake the rim in the middle of a game. And then there are dunk contest dunkers who can bring the flash. And I think Quincy can bring both of those. So he's a pretty obvious pick for me here. All right. The next one was slashing. Uh, and this is where I put a Nunwa. And I was just trying to think of who's a guy that doesn't mind, you know, we've used the word gritty, I think, 80 times in this segment. But yeah, gritty gets down in there. Um, you know, kind of a Russell Westbrook type of player, a guy who can go to the hoop uh, and whatnot. Uh, and I chose Nuno for that. I just thought I thought I wanted a physical player, a guy who could really just get inside, use his toughness, his quickness, use like that short-term uh, quickness, that quick twitch ability. And I, I just kind of a Nuno uh, stuck out to me for this one. But I, I just picked at your list, and I like your your pick as well. But Michael, uh, who did you choose for for slashing? Yeah, I went with more of the the crafty slashing guy with Jameson Crowder. I think he's the the type of guy who's not really going to go through anybody, but he's going to kill you with Euro steps all day. And also he went to Duke, so I kind of have to pick at least one guy. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, yeah, okay. I think I think so far your list is beating mine, but let's see if I can close it out uh, strong. Body type, I'm going Chris Herndon. This guy is 6'4". He does look like a basketball player. He's got the vertical. Um, just overall, I think this is just overall athleticism, or excuse me, overall body type for the guy that I want my player um, to be playing. I think 
if you're six four, you can play pretty much one through three. Um, so he can kind of do that uh, for me. I kind of envision Chris Herndon as, as a three, and that's kind of how I, I design this player. But if you had a, a player that so far has all these skills and in Chris Herndon's body, you're looking at a, a, a top tier player. But uh, Michael, who'd you choose? Yep, I also picked Chris Herndon, and I think yeah. I think you think you go when you're thinking about tight ends always get associated with basketball, and and also when you play Madden, the announcers talk about tight ends playing basketball every single game you play, so that was kind of in my head. But uh, Chris Herndon was the uh, immediate pick for me there. You definitely like the tight end body type is perfect for basketball, like you said, just uh, the versatility. They they have the size and the strength and the athleticism to kind of go through uh, a multitude of positions. Yeah, I, and bringing it kind of back to football for a little bit, I do think that uh, Gase will will utilize Herndon in, in some more of those jump ball situations that he didn't get a, uh, an opportunity to do too much of it. But you saw it against like the Colts last year. We went up for that pass that was kind of a little bit of an underthrown uh, ball by Darnold. Uh, I think he just has that that natural ability. He did it a few times where he made some juggling circus catch, you know, coming to the ground. So I think you're going to see a lot of that where, where Darnold's going to put it up high. Herndon's going to use his height uh, and, and his athleticism to go up and bring a ball down. Uh, so, so I'm excited for that. So yeah, I think body type is, is good uh, for Chris Herndon. I guess he could also fit the, the dunk package one as well. Uh, we'll go athleticism. I'm going Ty Montgomery. Uh, I just wanted a guy who, you know, clearly spends a lot of time in the gym, but also he needs to be fast. He needs to be strong. I think Montgomery is both of those um, just overall athleticism, stamina or whatnot. I think Ty Montgomery is, if, I mean, if you look at the guy, he looks like a bodybuilder. So uh, I'll take Ty Montgomery. Um, and he's also quite fast. So, uh, who'd you choose, Michael? Well, my pick for athleticism is, uh, this is my bold pick here, but I went with Quinn and Williams and I know it's completely unexpected, but I can see him being that just super skilled big man, a guy who could, uh, <laughs> who could back you down. He could also spin around you. He he's going to be tired uh, has, by halfway through the low first key quarter. Slashing ability. I just, this is my, this is my bold pick. I think he has that Shaq kind of athleticism and not the kind of athleticism that you think about. Uh, well, at the top yeah, the, of the athleticism not, not of the speed. category. Yeah, but he doesn't have the speed or any of that. <laughs> yeah, that's what the category. Thing. The category was like speed and stamina. Ah, no, but you're athleticism comes in a lot of different ways. Power can be athleticism. Okay, well, you should have made a body type then, and then you could say this is Quinn and Williams and put him at center or whatever. But you're using Chris Herndon's body type, and he's gonna have Quinn and Williams' speed. Quinn and Williams is fast for a defensive lineman, but if he's gonna have to be running up, you know, up and down the court. I don't know. I, I think it's a bold pick uh, for sure. Um, Very bold. All right, I had last, to go bold with one of these. All right, fine. All right, that's fair enough. Last one, swag. This is, you know, headbands, you know, pregame attire, postgame press conference attire. What are they wearing? Uh, I went with Robbie for this one. I think Robbie's a very fashionable guy. I think he's got good taste um, overall. You know, he's got, he's got right now, he's just got the shooter sleeve or whatnot and the the mouthpiece and the, the, the visor. I think if he played... In the league, I think he's a guy that um, he wears the, the shooting sleeve, uh, maybe a headband or whatnot. I think Robbie's just got good sense, uh, good style, whatnot. He's good hair or whatnot. So uh, I'll go with Robbie for, for the swag. What, have you, what about you, Michael? Well, my pick for this one, you mentioned this guy uh, a long time ago, very early in this uh, very early in this game. And when I was running down the list of categories, I kind of thought this guy could apply to pretty much anyone. But I had to save him for this one. I went with Jamal Adams because – uh, just every time he takes a field, he's super easy to recognize because of all the gear he's got on his arm, the multiple wristbands, uh, the shoulder pad, uh, all the stuff he wears. He's super recognizable. He's uh, really wears more gear than pretty much any player in the league. Uh, he's got to be up there in terms of the most stuff he's got on. So he definitely got that signature game. You know, uh, Mello had his headband. 
Uh, LeBron took off his headband, but you know, a lot of, most players have like. Hey, he's bringing it back. Gear. He's bringing it back with the the new like uh, ninja yeah. head. You seen him? Yeah, with he it? is. I am. But I mean, most players, especially star players, have like their signature gear. That's just a part of their getup every single game, and Jamal definitely has that going yeah. more than Jamal. Jamal's the better. Any player. other star? I'll be honest. Yeah, Jamal's. He's he's done a good job, but he knew that he wants. I mean, he was going to stand out regardless, but he wanted to have a. As you said, like you know, Sean Taylor had the the face mask where he put the tape on it. He wanted something that would stand out, where you'd see it and you'd associate it with Jamal Adams. You know, somebody in high school will wear this gear, and you know, it's Jamal Adams is is the guy who inspired him. Yeah, the thing he does with the armbands and the sleeve that was you know pretty creative, and nobody else that that I see does that in the league. Um, and I think you might see more of it because he's become a great player uh, with that. But yeah, I think I think Swag was p- probably the better pick. But yeah, you guys let us know what you think of of our teams. Who 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 built the better teams? Who built the better player? Uh, and you can also uh, tweet us at uh, your best ones. Uh, we'll, we'll, re- we'll retweet them. There we go. Um, but, yeah, just go ahead and use that. I guess use hashtag AskCYJ, even though you're not asking a question. Just add us, and, and we'll retweet it, get some thoughts on this. I think it's an interesting topic. Um, yeah, Quinn Williams' athleticism, I think, deserves more respect. Because it's it's not no, just about – oh, no, no, listen, listen. It's about a 300-pound guy who's able to carry his weight that good. So whatever the weight fair. of this that's hypothetical fair. player that's is – He's able to carry it as good as Quinn Williams can carry his weight. Okay, but he's he's not Quinn Williams' body though. He's in Chris Herndon's body. He's six four, you know, whatever. The, right, what, but Quinn Williams is like a ninetieth percentile or whatever at three. being able to move in his body. So you're just transferring over that movement ability to a smaller body. I, I guess, but then you have to factor in speed and stamina. And when you're six four and two fifty, the way he uses his body is important but i think i don't know i think i think my guy's gonna blow right by you your guys are certainly gonna look cooler uh and and maybe have a better dunk package but outside of that i think i think mine's pretty solid um all right that'll do it for for this episode of the uh the cool your jets podcast you can follow us uh at cyj pod on twitter you can follow michael at michael underscore nanny you can follow me at ben w blessington you can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts itunes spotify google and you can find it on turn on the the best place uh for jets content uh michael any last words as, as we head into to week four of the preseason almost there uh, almost made it to, to the start of the regular season uh, i'm just really excited I, I told you earlier about uh the excitement attacks like they're, they're just super weird like yeah, i'll think, just I be just, yeah i'll just be doing whatever i'm doing and i'll just start thinking of oh ryan khalil is gonna make the jets get stuff so much less on offense this year or or uh, jameson crowder he's gonna give sam darnold that option underneath or Le'Veon bell he's gonna be able to do this this and that for the offense just just these moments where I'm thinking about all the great things that could happen for this team this year. But uh, yeah, you might kind of based on some of my tweets with these countdowns and stuff and all the stuff I just said to you right there, you might kind of be thinking, uh, getting the hunch that I'm going a little bit insane waiting for the season. And uh, I think you're right. So uh, two weeks ago, two weeks. No, I don't think anybody could get that impression of, of a guy who spends his time finding random 200,000 minute stats and says he has excitement attacks. Michael, I think you need help. All right, you call the end zones naked. So I, I think <laughs> they I, were. I, they had no color. It looked weird. I've never heard that terminology. You've never. Okay, well, fine. Uh, empty. Uh, naked. Naked was the term. I was right. I said colorless. Oh. That was mine. Colorless. Okay. They were naked. I don't know. They were naked end zones. I don't know what to tell you. Color. Adding color to the end zones just makes the field look ten times better. But anyways, um, all right, we'll close it there. Obviously, on on that odd note. Um, but yeah, as Michael said, I mean, I'm giving him shit, but yeah, I can't, I cannot wait, uh, for the season to start. I am super excited. 
uh, and only a few more weeks. How many days is it until I asked you? I've asked you this at the end of the last few episodes, but it's August 25th. We're recording this, and we play the Bills. Yeah, two weeks. It's Sunday. Today's uh, today's Sunday when we're recording this. So two weeks exactly. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, two weeks exactly for today. So 14 days. I can pull up how many hours that is. Yeah, no, I'll pass on that because it's related to Ken O'Brien's rushing yards or something. Um, All right. Well, that'll do it for us. Uh, Thank you for listening. Hope everybody have a great week. Uh, Let's just hope for, uh, I guess, no injuries in practice. We don't have to worry too much about the starters. I guess let's hope to no injuries for, you know, depth guys. And and let's hope... uh, Let's hope uh, Joe Douglas can make some moves, I guess, uh, as, as we get closer to the waiver wire. That'll do it for us. Thanks for listening. He's going to go all the way. Jamison Crowder. And now it's intercepted by Mosley. He's going to score, Jim!